welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Ed. Our guest today is a sprinter who has represented both Great Britain and Ghana. They competed at the 2004 and 2006 World Indoor Championships. In addition, he competed at the European Championships. His accolades when representing for Ghana were in the 4x1 relay where he achieved a silver in the African Games in 2011 and in 2012 he received the same medal um, for Ghana at the African Championships. So, a warm, warm welcome to Mr. Timothy Abeyi. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Yes, we are very, very good. Looking forward to this one. Absolutely looking forward to this one. So, yeah, we want to go into the Mind Talks routine of really taking things back and just asking you your first living memory of a sport, either playing or watching. Um, So watching is probably going to be probably watching the 92 Olympic 100 metre final, watching the Christie win run over that. I know I'm probably, I'm more of a football fan myself, like back Back then I was, but yeah. I think just watching that, everyone was watching it, wasn't it? I mean, all your parents, everyone, that especially where I grew up on that state, everyone was subbed to the TV ready for that one. Yeah. I was say, normally it would have been football, but Chelsea weren't, Chelsea weren't doing very much then, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing to, there was nothing to talk about. Absolutely. <laughs> and was it, was it just football that you were into um, when you were younger? Yeah, like when I was when I was younger, I was mainly only into football. I, I, I just wanted to be a footballer, if I'm honest. Um, mm. Up until about um, sixteen, seventeen. Um, so I had I had to remember having trials for Fulham, played for them for maybe three, four games, and then and then got released. And then that's when because I was in probably year, I was in my last year of secondary school then, and I think that's when I made the switch to take athletics a little bit years after I left. Um, so yeah, it would have been mainly football. I only did kind of athletics while I was in school for that odd competition. Okay, so I guess you've spoken briefly about how you got into. So can you just go in a little bit more detail? How did you officially join um, athletics? So uh, how I got into athletics, how I started doing athletics actually was when I was in school. I was uh, I said I played quite a lot of football for the school as well. Yeah, I remember the, I remember the football manager there. Of the, of the football team, he said, um, "Do you want to do some athletics?" And I was saying, well, "Why would I want to do that?" Yeah. And then, um, and then he said, "Well, it will get you out of school if you don't want to go that since full time." And I was then like, yeah, yeah, "I'm definitely going to that." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't like school at all. I'll be honest; like, I, mm. I just wanted to play football or do anything. I, I couldn't wait for the play, uh, like the breaks to happen so we can have a play football or yeah. just, just be doing doing something active. So yeah. When he said that, then I yeah, then I tried it. I remember doing that high jump or hurdles, and I like I remember obviously being selected for the high jump because of my because of my height. Yeah. And I guess I was also selected for the hurdles because of my height. They thought I could get over the hurdles quicker than everyone else. Mm-hmm. But um, those are the events. Those are the events I started with. I think I jumped like the one ninety two something like that for the for the high jump. I made the English schools that year to be fair with no training. Like, I yeah. didn't have a coach and stuff. Um. And then that's when I kind of started to try and get some type of coaching to help because I realised that I'd gone and won the, the London schools to be able to represent London at any school. Yeah. Maybe I have something here to, to like look forward to. But yeah, I went to the English schools and no height at that school. 
like low height. Must have been really nervous. And <laughs> that was that was that with the height. And when did athletics become more than just a hobby and more of just getting out of school? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it would have happened like when I so after that being getting rejected by um, Fulham when I was yeah, uh, sixteen. I think that's when I made the switch. Not I thought, you know what, I'm going to switch to athletics because no one can really, not just on someone's opinion or like whether you're good enough to, to play or not. It's more if you win the race, then they can't really not pick you. Or if you, if you're like winning or continuously winning in your age, you know that you're kind of getting faster or building on from the previous year. Yeah. So I think I think that was the the moment. Now I should when I look back at it, I sometimes think that. Like, why didn't I try again to get into another club? That was my first rejection. And then you hear loads of footballers say subjects like three or four times before they made it or then and got into a club. But I think without a sport, it was just someone's opinion. At that age, I think not how someone's opinion can just be the one to decide whether you're you're going going through or not. And that's when I thought with athletics, it was just yeah, a bit more first past the post, you know, who wins. So it's, it was really that. Yeah, the recruitment and selection in football is absolutely brutal and it's something that definitely um, Edwin and I need to discuss in a further podcast. So um, talk to us about joining your first athletics club. Did anyone take you under their wing or was it about more about you getting used to um, the team dynamics? Yeah, so like going back to when I kind of did the stuff in the, in the school, um, like with the high jump on the hurdle. Remember when I did that, then I thought I better go and join a club, train on a Tuesday, Thursday, because I was always club time. Yeah. And then in fact, the groups were quite small then. So, and I, I, did, I don't remember actually it being a group as well. So I think my best experience in a training group would probably be the first kind of experience would be when I trained with John Power, because there was like a good, probably 30 of us, if, if not more of us in that group. Yeah. And there were people from, there was Chris Lambert in there at the time, who was the world junior, the fastest junior in the world at the time. There was um, Austin Ferns who was like winning the hurdle, four hurdles. There was like, I remember there was even a guy that on in your schools in the year below, um, Chris Lambert. I mean, there was like loads of people just running, running fast or, or winning in their age and not just like county level or it was, it was like England level. So I was thinking this is a bit of a, maybe a bit too much, but I thought it's, it's where I need to be in order to improve. How was the dynamics between yourself and the coaches that you've had in your career? So in, in all different sports, you get coaches that tend to be uh, more, more caring <laughs> and then you get some coaches who t- tend to be a bit more brutal. How was that for you? I think generally from every culture hat, because I've kind of always wanted to find out what we're doing with training, what, what do you expect? I think I've actually spoke to most of them generally in a way that I would like to know what the plan was going forward. So I think there might have been that kind of respect in, in the place at first. Whereas with my first coach, um, I remember him comparing me to another athlete because I wanted to leave the group to go into a, a better training group. Or, yeah. I think I, actually, I, wanted to, I was leaving to go to train with a coach on my own so I can get that bit more one-to-one attention and train with a, someone. I think there was one more person in that. Because after, after my first couple of years, Chris... Chris and Chris Lambert and a couple other guys, they moved and Chris went to Harvard. So I was only kind of dipping mm-hmm. over there to America. But there wasn't many people that were at my level where I could still improve. So I wanted yeah. to go to another training group to, to get better, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember him comparing me. He said, why, why do you want to go there? Because I'm fast. Well, I think you're going to run faster than Chris. And I was like, well, that's kind of the plan. 
<laughs> and then they go, well, happened. And I think that's when I thought, definitely decided now I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> wow. So, so, so other than that, I don't think I've had anything that I could compare it to to that for other coaches. So, um, other coaches I've been really like, I think I'm, they kind of, I've known where they're at. They've, I've known, they've known where I want to be. Okay. When it comes to training, I guess one of the main mental blocks is um, repetition. Were you somebody that hated it, just doing the same thing over and over again? Or were you somebody that enjoyed it because you understood the process? It's weird. This question is quite an interesting question because I look back at it now when I see the training I'm giving the guy. Yeah. And I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a lot of work. You know what I mean? A lot of hard work. But at the time, I would have been like, oh, we got to, I've got to complete this session. But yeah. I was always trying to complete the session technically right rather than just trying to complete the session. And I think that's when how I could kind of get around what the reps were. So yeah. wasn't, I wasn't always thinking about time. I was thinking about if I could hold my technique and I got that time, then that's fine. Whereas I knew, because I, I think some races, in the years before, I've learned the hard way where when you come to the last part of the race, you haven't been practicing your technique and training consistently and trying to hold the form. Yeah. And it goes. It costs you so much in that, in that race, like, time-wise. Absolutely. So I think I was always thinking of each repetition as just trying to, trying to, like, how I could personally do my best in that rep, not comparing it to if people are going past, you know what I mean? So, yeah. That, yeah, I thought I'd, I'd, I think I've seen for like each repetition just trying to get it done because I know that it will help in the long run. How, how was your mindset for races compared to your mindset for training? Was it the same or did it tend to differ? I think it was going to be because in training I was just thinking about getting the work done and making sure it was helping me ready for the race day. So on races, I was always normally, other than like major, everyone's nervous that I made the championship when they go there. That's yeah. He was completing like genuine races, I think, because I've known I've done all the training. It was almost like just kind of showing what you've done in training on the yeah. So my mind was already quite clear what, like, I'd always probably know most of the time what time I was running other than the first race. Mm. So it was trying to be consistent with each competition. Hopefully then you get that kind of peak and then run a bit faster when it comes to the champ. So okay. I think, I think, um, Mindset was always quite as long as I'd, I'd always worked out as long as I'd trained the three months of like that October, November, December, even if I had like some hiccups here and there, I was yeah. that I could be able to have a good season because I got that big base. So I think mindset wise, I was always quite quite confident, unless obviously that pattern had been broken. Yeah. Can you talk to us about a time? where you overcame self-doubt. So can you talk to us about the process of how you overcame um, that period of self-doubt? Yeah, I think, um, I think there was a 2013, after 2012, we won the bronze. But in 2013, I had a really, really bad year because I was, I was injured mid-March, which I, went over, I think I went over on my ankle and it just took so long to recover. And I just thought, that's got to be me aging or whatever, but it just took, took so long. Normally, you know, you go over the ankle and like maybe two, three weeks, you're back and you can do stuff, but I couldn't put yeah. half or anything. So I remember sitting down that end of that season and thinking the next year was Commonwealth Games. And I said, if I don't make the Commonwealth Games, then it's always time for me to quit. Or if I've got another injury, 
um, that that stopped me from going to a major champ. Then I've got to, I've got to stop. And I think then, because I was doubting whether I should even bother carrying on, and I thought, no, you're not. I thought, you know what? I'll give it one more year. Like the Commonwealth was an easier target time wise to achieve. So if I, if I and if I don't do that, that's fine. But then at least I could have. At first, I was doubting whether I could even run the time, but as training came on, because the target was an easier target than what the other the other other um, championships are, like the Worlds and Olympics. I thought, well, I must go to the that and I kept doubting. Maybe yeah. I, they might just miss it, but mm. that's probably the one one year because in theory that was my second to last year in athletics. So, yeah. But I, so I made the Commonwealth. So in in, in in theory, I got over that fear of trying to qualify for it. Um. But at the start, I was really thinking, I was making sure that, you know, I don't know if it, it's realistic, but it could also not, not yeah. go quite where I went. And I think that's mm. probably the best way to explain that. Talk to us about your feeling of representing your country. So not many of us have that chance, but obviously you got that chance. How, how did it feel at the time? Um, really weird, because the first time I represent my country, I went to the I went to Commonwealth, Commonwealth Youth Games in Edinburgh. Mm. And I remember they like paraded us um, so South Africa went out, Scotland went out. No, I think Scotland might have went last actually. Yeah. And then well, all the teams went out, and then England came out. Yeah. And we seen all these teams, everyone's cheering them coming out, and then we started to walk out England, and we just got booed. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. What? What's going on here? <laughs> like, Seventeen years getting booed. And I was thinking, You're a bit harsh. <laughs> and then I and then I thought oh, that, that was a bit harsh. But um, that was for England, so that that. But that kind of week before, because I was so hyped, we had we had been there like two weeks maybe before training and staying there and getting used to the whole team. So it was, if it wasn't for that kind of unity we had with the actual people there already from the other England team, it would have, I think that would that that would have been like, oh, what's going on here? But um, first member representing Great Britain was would have been the senior. Yeah. Um, would have been the two thousand indoor champion. I remember just being so nervous and like. Thinking, oh, do I even deserve to be here? And that was that was the kind of that was the kind of first. Um, I remember even having a word with a coach there saying, "But well, you've made the team now, so definitely deserve to be here and kind of enjoy it and have fun." Yeah. And uh, so that that was there. I remember just get a little pen to say that you've represented like senior team. Obviously, I've, I've represented like Great Britain as a junior and on the twenty three level, but I think when I made it for the seniors, that was when I thought, oh, maybe I do I do have. And now I do have the belief that I kind of achieve what I kind of want to achieve. Um, with the next question, it's inspired. <laughs> it's inspired from Donna Fraser. So we asked her the same question, and she mentioned her comfort item or comfort food was wine gums. So the next question <laughs> is, yeah. So the same question is to you. So when you was traveling around, did you have any comfort foods or items that you always had to have with you? It's funny she mentioned that because I learned this the hard way. I remember I didn't know how this was happening, but I was doing three races and I was going from, I think it was Croatia to Italy and then to France. Yeah. And, yeah. Just driving. and like, I didn't read the, the full email. So I just got there thinking, I'm going to go Croatia and come back because it was like three, four days in between. Yeah. And then my agent says, oh, no, you're getting on this coach. You're, you're driving down. You're getting a coach. And I goes, and one, I didn't have enough clothes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Until I had no food. Yeah. So I remember thinking, what? And then, so then the next trip I did, I bought some protein bars, mm. 
um, some pieces wine comes. I like Harry Bowls. Then I, I don't even know more now, but yeah. I really like Harry Bowls. We have a packet of them that super kid mix. I think it was, and, yeah. and then and then peanut. And I think once I have them kind of food, then I'm kind of I can kind of get by for the next couple of hours or whatever. I think they're yeah. Especially with the protein bars and the wine gum, they're, they're, they're decent. But yeah, they're probably my foods. That so now, so when I went away after that 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 competition, learning the hard way, I'd always yeah. If not all of them, but at least two of them with me, just 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 to, because sometimes your flight can get delayed, and then you're at the airport longer, or you're on the airport longer back, or the bus might might be late getting there, and if you can't eat, that's the worst. Like, get that hungry, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So you spoke about it briefly. So um, talk to us about the impact of in- injuries have had on your mentality. So to prepare for race. So I know obviously with athletics, winter training is essential to having a great season. So having setbacks then could affect your mind. How how was it for you? Yeah, as I, yeah, as I say, I think it would it, it would have more affected my mind. I always missed the winter. I think if I didn't wasn't able to get the October, November, December, I think. I'd have probably doubted myself if I could even even complete that season because I haven't put the work, which is which is probably the wrong way to think about it when I look back at it now because you could I reckon you could still train January, February, March and yeah. be ready for August or July. Mm-hmm. Just, I think back then you just everyone used especially when you train training then everything was like oh yeah you're winter in you're winter in. yeah and so I was always confident if I if I had my winter in um, even if I got hurt. A little bit in January or February, I still had that kind of base to be able to pick it back up and then be able to do the rest of the training I need to do. But there is, it does bring doubt in because I'm sure when I had a, I had a prolapse disc in 2007. Yeah. And um, I could train and I could run. I just, it just stopped, just the pain was there when I stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when, I, or when I woke up in the morning. And that, that made, and it made me feel like I was like, I think I was like 20 four or five at the time and it made me feel like I was 40 or 50 you know what I mean like in my back getting, it was just it was just horrible mm-hmm. so I think that when that came in I thought oh, can I even compete with this can I run how much I run I remember running my first race and I think I didn't run too far away from my personal best so mm-hmm. I was thinking okay it's not that bad yeah and it's the accumulation of not being training when you then go to another race mm-hmm. never you know what I mean you're not able to do much because you I think the issue would be that I think most people would struggle with was you might be able to run the odd race here and there, but it was mm. the, in the accumulation back of the training to be able to have that confidence to say, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go out and attack this race. And I think you probably would be a bit more, oh, I'm going to get past this race, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test myself. And then mm. you probably couldn't run for, train for a couple more days because it's going to heal from that. And then it'll be that accumulation. I think that would, that would probably be what affects you the most. Okay. One of the reasons why I admire the boxer Tyson Fury is his ability to identify that he needs a change in the coach and he just moves on. And one of the things that really stood out for me is um, his his interview, his first interview after he left um, the coach, but he's yeah, coach Ben Davidson. It was just he whilst he was praising Ben Davidson and he had, you know, no issues with Ben Davidson. He just felt he needed something a little bit different. And that, that's just something that I really admire because because in sport, it's very, very difficult to potentially leave leave a coach. So I guess my next question to you would be, what advice would you give to uh, an individual that is probably in the same position? They want to leave their coach. They think the time is right, but they have this strong loyalty for that coach. You know, I've, I've had this conversation recently. 
because personally, like for me, if it's not working, I'm gone because I think <laughs> the outlet career is such a short, such a short thing, and it's not as if when I leave, when I'm retired, they're going to give me some patience, going to help me with what happened before this. But yeah. Speaking to people, because I just, and I also think that you can probably relate it to a relationship. Like, would you stay mm. in a relationship that wasn't working for you? No, you wouldn't. Isn't it? You still might, still might yeah, it's true. be into that person or love that person, but it's best that for you, you need to go because not all your needs are met. Yeah. And, and, but I think, I don't know whether that's like, um, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know whether that's like a le- the level of the app is what pays a big, I mean, because with Tyson Fury, he's, at that level where yeah, like, if, he, if he gets knocked out, it's on him, isn't it? You can't then say, oh, you know, it's because I stayed with my coach. Yeah. If I would went to another coach, maybe I would have, you can't have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know whether it's a level, because I know it's, with this conversation I have, it's a lot of people that are at that level where it's just, they're almost doing athletics, not, not for fun, just to kind of do athletics. They're not really expecting too much out of it, but it's a, yeah. like, I've been with my coach for so long, I don't want to kind of, kind of like, leave him or dishearten him but yeah. I think well, it's your career isn't it like if, if your coach really wanted you to do to do well then he would accept that if you felt that if he didn't believe he could um, do everything in his power to make you run faster then surely he would be the person to say you know what I think I think you're right I think you need someone that can take you to where you want to go to isn't it? but I don't know whether that comes in with the level so I don't know whether I don't know what you guys think of that it's more of a how how that high that person wants to achieve, or that it's just a, a case of just training just to keep kind of where you're at. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, th- mm-hmm. I think I think it's kind of connected to sort of the reaction of knowing your coach, because some coaches, like from your experience, when you when you leave, the reaction is not always the best, and some people instead of um, just going with it, they're kind of scared of the negative reaction they're going to get, and yeah, yeah, I've. Yeah. I, I myself, I, I did athletics when I was younger and there were some people that would leave a group and when they leave a group, you always hear the coach that they used to be with talking bad about them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so, there's a lot of people like that. Yeah. yeah. But, but also, I think as well, I think for me, so as a coaching now, like, I think because obviously I'm charging my athlete to train with me, mm. I think also then if they do all the training, um, so that yeah, say you come to me, you do all the training, and then you don't achieve what we set out to achieve when we sat down before, and like it's like slower or it's not quite there, or you're not you weren't ready for a competition that you told me you wanted to be any any kind of little goal that you have because remember the training should be geared towards whatever you want you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know what your goals are. Your goals could just be to win the county championships, or it could be yeah the the British champ, or it could be to go to the Olympics. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. whatever that goal is that you set out to do. If then you're always coming to training and we set this plan up together and you don't achieve that and you're paying money, then you can say, thing hasn't worked. And, I, and then there's nothing for me to kind of say anything else other than you're right. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. let's try and rectify that next year. Or do you go and find a better coach or someone that could help you better? Because I think that's probably what people sometimes think. Like, they probably think that, oh, they're leaving and they're saying that that coach is better than you. But that, mm-hmm. not everyone's compatible with everyone, are they? And, and it doesn't always, doesn't always, that dynamic's not always, always the same. So, but I think I've had a situation where someone wanted to join my group, and, but they said they've got some loyalty for their old coach. And then I thought, okay, what's the lawyer? And the coach was really old. And mm-hmm. I think then, 
So is that loyalty or is that you don't want to affect them because they might not have very much longer left and yeah. then it might seem, you might seem like you feel like you're being, you're that person that did that. Like, mm-hmm. then that's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, because then it's, it's on you. But then again, I think they were like on the level of the coach. If, if you, you, you ain't got many years in athletics, have you, to be like the loyalty thing? I don't, like, as I say, personally, I don't, I don't get it. But then I can see some instances where some people might feel like that. But then I do mm-hmm. think that's on the level of the athlete on where, where they want to like, where they want to be. You know what I mean? Like if you if you want to achieve no matter what, I think you're moving if you're not happy with what's going on. You know what I mean? Personally. Yeah, I agree. I think um. So I first heard this from a um another podcast, but he he does for boxing, and he mentions, and he always states that boxers should never ever stay loyal to their coaches because it's such a short. Sp- period of time where they're actually at the top level so if you need to go it's nothing personal and I think that's where I kind of stand but I think sometimes looking on the flip side I think some athletes leave I can think of one but I won't mention them but some athletes leave coaches really because of the lack of accountability so they've done something wrong but to save face it's let me put it on the yeah, coaches. Yeah, yeah. Let me yeah. put it on the coach and just say, yeah, he is, is his fault. Things wasn't happening in training. Um, the last few weeks haven't been going well. And, and, you know, those little digs, especially in the interviews and media where people that you, you just know you can pick it up. So I think yeah. that's always another area is the lack of accountability from, from some, some athletes. So I don't know and what I, you think about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This used to, like, so, so when I, so I was in Germany for five years, when we were in America, and he was, like, basically employed, trained all the, all the athletes within that, that county fight, yeah? Yeah. And, like, so I trained with him, but these, some of these athletes, they wouldn't come regularly. So, like, mm-hmm. we basically trained Monday to Friday, yeah? yeah. And mm-hmm. the weekend was off. So, and Saturday we trained as well, and then Sunday was off. But, and we all trained at the same time, but the people that used to moan about how they were doing, we're never there more than three mm. times a week, mm. ever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I used to say to him, like, yeah. why don't you just say to him that they're not hit? Like, how do you expect to get better without being hit? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Again, if you're younger, like, if you're, like, 16, young, like, still a junior, I don't think you need to train probably more than three or four times a week. Mm-hmm. But when you're past the age and you're a senior and you're, like, you've got to, and it's not, and you're not that naturally talented, you've got to probably put a bit more work. But you can't yeah. then come to the coach and say, why am I not training? Why am I not running well when you haven't been here? Because if you've yeah. been here and said that, I think your argument's so much better than when it's not here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, and I actually think, you know, with the, so they're talking about the payment or like people not paying, when they coaches on this, you're just training with a coach and you're doing it free. Um, the coach, then when you leave, it's almost like, it seems like it's almost like a disrespect that you're leaving because mm-hmm. I've done all this work for you. And, yeah, you know I mean? that's true. And, yeah. that's, and that's why I kind of, and then that's, that's why when they start getting um, talking about the athlete, then I think it's because maybe that has been the arrangement. Whereas mm. I think most professional athletes, if they're paying their coach to get them better, they're most likely coming to train them. But when yeah. it doesn't work, normally a reason that it's either timing or or it's just it's just not compatible, so you mm-hmm. need to kind of move on. But, yeah. but there has been a load of lip like I'd say I've seen that a lot in Germany that like people just not come and training, but wanting to be be faster from not coming to training. Mm-hmm. And I think what is even worse used to be is 
would get hurt and would come back training like three, four weeks later, expecting to be at the same level they were when yeah. they left. And I'm like, well, if we could all do that, why would we even train? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't need to train there. Man, just got abs and a six pack already. Why do I need to do that then? You know what I mean? Why am I doing them? Why am I busting my gut doing these 200s and 300s for if I don't, I don't need to do it? So, I don't, and again, I don't know whether that's the mentality of the kind of people that just want to kind of do it to do mm-hmm. athletics or just yeah. do the sport. I think there's a big, you know what I mean? Because let's be honest, if we just did, went down and played football by the side, Mm-hmm. We're not going to always go training. We'll just try and go maybe two or three times a week. Keep it there. If we mm-hmm. get hurt, we're like, well, we haven't really. We're honest with ourselves. We haven't probably been training that much, you know? Yeah, but exactly. When, when you're an athlete, it's like you've got to keep you've got to keep putting that in that working, haven't you? Yeah. And it's only on you, really. You, know? you can blame the coach, but if you set the plan with the coach and you haven't hit that plan and you've been to training, then you probably have to mm-hmm. have a discussion with the coach. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the yeah. I believe what I'm in. Long story yeah. cut, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what motivated you to coach? I think so. When I when I was already in Germany, I already got kind of a um a coach. Like I was coaching some young athletes there from like mm-hmm. I think they were like under eleven, maybe twelve, and I was just doing that just for a job, kind of stay in the sport and learn the language and, and get used to what like kind of doing something I already knew. And then I quite like like working on. Training, training like kids, and then it went on to training. I started training some like people one to one, and then started training some football teams, some footballers around there. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of thought, you know what, this is I quite like this is a this is what I want to do because you mm-hmm. get so technical with it, you can just like bring it back now and all that. You know, yeah. you can go deep with it. Now. And then um, coming back over to Britain and then working with um, rugby, football, um, this kind of but, you know, maybe if I did this in athletics where I, I kind of know I've got the knowledge and the background now from all this um, all these internships that I've done um, and, and really I, I kind of feel like there is where I am there is no coaches so if someone if you, someone was fast for example or did show some talent there isn't yeah. much there's not much of an option to go to and I kind yeah. of thought you know what like, like, that should really be on me then to kind of help if they're willing yeah. to want to train and do the work and Obviously, I started with personal training mostly, but I always, deep down, always wanted to come into like strength and conditioning coaching or, or athletics. Like, that's kind mm-hmm. of what I wanted to do. I just didn't know whether it would be viable where I was because in Leeds, there's not much of a, there's not much. If I go to Manchester, I'm fine, but it's like yeah. an hour, hour, 10 minutes away. So yeah, um, it's just kind of, that's, that's probably why I got in this because I can, I can see there is some talent around here and there isn't no one to take probably where they could potentially go from your athletics career what skills and lessons did you bring into your coaching um, good question is, um, I think that determination that never stopped is probably yeah. carried me on to even do coach because there's, there's a when I started out as I was saying I wanted to be I wanted to be able to coach in transformation or coach in athletics ideally and I think there was there has been times where I thought, you know, I could just stay in my little comfort zone here and just train people and yeah. because I think that that you get that determination with with training and you get that consistency that you do, you kinda of just then fall into and I'm gonna make sure I do I try and do this but even if it, even if I do it and I'm not good at it, at least then I've tried and I can then say, you know, I've tried, I'm not good at it, let's let's move on or go back to what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? But that's mainly why 
What do you think are the main ingredients a sprinter needs mentally to be successful? Or not just be successful, but to be the best version of themselves? Um, it kind of, I think, I'm going to, I'm going to do it this way, actually. I'm going to give you an example of, going back to Linford Christie, I remember hearing the story when I was training with one of the other athletes, and it was before the 92 Olympics. He was either, I can't remember if this was the training camp before they went to the Olympics, or whether this was actually at the Olympic training camp, as in like two or three days before he actually competed. But he was doing blocks with, um, oh, you think, went out of my head, but they were doing blocks with, oh, the guy that won the 110 hurdles the Olympics. Oh, he's oh, Colin Jackson. Colin. No, 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 he came. No. <laughs> oh, um, the, oh, I the don't. Canadian guy. Oh. I don't know his name. Oh, he's just gone out of my head, but um, it'll come back. He was doing blocks with him, and this mm. guy was, Absolutely battering him for 30 meters three or four times. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he's like, after the, comp, after the session, he said, it didn't happen. You know I mean? <laughs> Even though he's been getting battered, he's just about to go to Olympics and race every man that's running about. He just said, it didn't happen. Mm. And I remember thinking, that's a strong head for someone to say, after this got beat by someone that does go on to win the Olympics, he's one of them, to say mm-hmm. it didn't happen, to like kind of block it out of your head and just. Yeah. And you know what you've got to go to do. And I think that's probably the mindset you probably need to get to the top where you just have to think things are going to happen. You might have bad days, you might have good days. But as long mm-hmm. as you're, you're focused on what you need to go to, you can then block out what you don't need to, mm-hmm. keeping what you need. And I think that's probably the best way of gaining that. Because I just feel like when he when he did that, he, I think normal athletes would have been like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's just gone. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Just moved on. So he's moved on from it. Like it's just a training system that's gone in the past. Yeah. Get on with it now. I mean, there's still things I can achieve. That's probably the best way. I think another one of our athletes mentioned something like that. Um, Ed, it was Tiffany. Remember Tiffany? And she started speaking yeah, yeah, about yeah. short-term yeah. memory. Tiff- yeah. Tiffany, yeah. So an American Amer- American athlete came on here, Tiffany McReynolds, and she said something very similar. It's about having the ability to just forget something has happened yeah, and yeah. very, 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 very quickly. So she, that was one of her main ingredients and that's something that stood out. So yeah, that's really interesting. You mentioned that. Um, as a coach... What are your non-negotiables? Um, what, what, what do you mean? What would you mean by this? What are some, so, so like, non-negotiable. Are you talking about people being late or are you talking about what kind of, what kind of things? Yeah, so, so I think for every coach, they have their, their areas of, you know, they liberty for all their athletes and clients, but then there are non-negotiables. So I know... At Chelsea, I know Frank Lampard used to find players for being late. <laughs> so that's just one. But so that's a non-negotiable. Um, so what are your non-negotiables, or are you fairly laissez-faire with your approach? I, I think I think it's the late. But like, I was having, I was thinking about when I was thinking about this question. I was thinking, you know, probably the worst thing will be the lateness, because it's just um, it's it's the reflection of you, isn't it? Trying to come on time and like it also affects me Tuesday how much you really then care about this but don't get me wrong because I know somewhere there some people have been before that have won, have won things and gone on and they've been late as hell <laughs> but then <laughs> but at least then when they well, normally when they come to and they get the training done like mm-hmm. professionally but I still feel sometimes when people come late it's almost like it's a, it's a joke anyway mm-hmm. yeah so I think that's probably that's probably be my 
my only one. And just probably, and I think with athletics, obviously, you just you can only say to your athletes that they've got to put like hundred percent in, but you can't really judge whether that's hundred percent or not unless because on a given day they could be tired, they could anything going on. But most of the people I train um, have jobs as well, so it's kind of you don't know what's going on, dude. So um, yeah, and I'm going to go probably probably uh, being late, especially when we've agreed the time as a group together. And you know, I mean, if that time is affected your work and it's too close to that, then we probably need to adjust that time. But then, yeah, again, all that needs is a conversation, doesn't it? So yeah, I'm not going to make that time because of you know. But yeah, probably yeah. Just, just being being late will be a the one for me. Being on time, even. <laughs> Absolutely. Last question. So, who who stands out as your favourite sportswoman, sportsmen of all time, and why? Probably going to have to be Michael Johnson. Hmm. Because of <laughs> remember, just because when I when I seen him do what he did, I was only ninety six. I'd have been fourteen, fifteen. I remember just thinking, watching it on the TV, and I remember thinking this, this, he was completely like miles ahead, wasn't he? Mm. Just, yeah. He changed, he changed athletics, didn't he, really? Yeah. Like, compared to... I know people were running, like, nine, starting to run nine, eight, nine, or nine, 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 eight, nine, seven. That's what I mean, the 19, the 19.3s. Yeah. It's just crazy, wasn't it? And then mm-hmm. doing it in the 400 as well, and then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just... Yeah, him, really. Because it went on for a while, didn't it? Like, it went over a period of time of him doing it. You know I mean? yeah. Obviously not as long as what Bolt's done now, mm-hmm. but um, I think because I've seen that, it's probably one of the main reasons why I kind of got into that. I've seen it too long, and I look good at them. So yeah, that's just Michael John. Yeah, I've said this story many times before. That's that's why I got into athletics. But the difference is, I d- attempted to do the four hundred first, and oh, wow. <laughs> and that and that was a lesson. That was a lesson. I never did four hundred again after that. So Michael Johnson's obviously uh, a reason why a lot of people um, go into athletics at that time. But also, like I like, like now when you hear him speak on TV, like yeah. he knows he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Things, yeah, like, things. It's, it's um. You can just you can see that a lot of that would have been coming from him, his own input as well. Yeah, I think that's what I like about it. Where sometimes you might speak to people and you think, oh, they just they just train and kind of don't want to coach you a lot. You can see from him, it's like he thinks he probably put quite a lot. Yeah, he thinks like, yeah. he probably put quite a lot of input into his into his own training. So, yeah, Tim. Yeah, Tim. Thank you so so much for this interview um we really really appreciate it um if folks want to get in contact with you um how can they get in contact yeah they can um first of all yeah, thanks for having me on um they can get in contact by um so social media is speed for sport i think that's the same on instagram and twitter and or they can go to the speed for sport website as well or i'm on facebook as well as my name so and you might be summer bay on there yeah i've also got a summer bay Facebook page and in the performance Facebook page. There's many ways they, they want to contact. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, guys. So really, really, really thankful for yet another wonderful podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. If you are a regular listener, thank you and continue to listen to the podcast and share with everyone, anyone and everyone. Until next time, guys, stay safe, stay healthy and peace.